Hi, I'm Dee Hicks, and welcome to the School of Leadership, leveraged lessons from high-impact leaders. For the past 30 years, I've researched the disciplines, habits, mental models, and assumptions of the most effective leaders. This podcast takes what I've learned from over 2,000 of these influencers and distills it into practical tools and tips you can use immediately. So let's get started. So happy Friday, just just lighting a wonderful cigar. Of course, they're all wonderful. I probably wouldn't have one on this podcast if this cigar was not good. Every once in a while, you know, I'll run across a cigar that's just not good. But because I'm kind of an optimist and I think that if something is not good, if you just stick with it and try it again and make a couple changes, it'll actually be good. But once in a while, I run across a cigar that's just not good. Get about an inch into it and it's like, nope, sorry toss it out every once in a while too when i'll get a cigar one of my favorite places to get them is at a place called cigarbid.com mostly because it's kind of a game you know i'll find a really nice cigar that i want or or a five pack or ten pack of cigars and and uh i would not pay full retail for those things and so i get into a little bit of a bidding war and then they show up and if i win them and they're wonderful cigars but once in a while i'll get one that i've just heard of but never tried before and they're so dry once in a while when they get to me that uh, I don't, uh, and I don't have the patience to throw them in my humidor. So light them up and then they look like something off of a, I don't know, an old Groucho Marx cartoon or something like that. So anyway, got a great, a great Churchill size cigar uh, going on right now. This one is a Romeo and Julieta cigar and uh, very, very nice. Very nice. And it's a Friday evening while I'm recording this and I'm going to open this if I can't, it's been a while. Oh, there we go. I'm going to open this bottle of Basil Hayden's 10-year. This was a gift. There we go. Just pour a little bit in there to enjoy with you. I'll imagine you're sitting here with me, uh, enjoying a cigar and enjoying some of this Basil Hayden's bourbon. Such good stuff. This is a great Kentucky burden. A burden? <laughs> this is a great Kentucky bourbon, so... Mm, take a smells good i poured it into what's called a norlin glass which is designed to uh, keep the bourbon from heating up from your touch and it's also designed to uh, enhance the smell and the look it's beautiful norlin glasses i've mentioned them in one or two of my other podcasts so a great cigar a great bourbon and looking forward to sharing a thought with you about the five disciplines of really healthy teams, really vital teams. In fact, teams that we have come to call high-performance teams. You probably listened to the, to the podcast before this. If you haven't, this one, uh, you probably should back up and listen to that one because this one won't make much sense if you don't get to that one. That one's the five disciplines of uh, high-performance teams or healthy teams, part one. This is part two where we talk about the second discipline. Everyone who chooses to be a part of a team wants their experience on that team to be an awesome one, don't you? I do. I never want to be a part of a, a group of people and all the hard work that it takes just to function in a group and have that experience be mediocre or, or worse, uh, disappointing in a bunch of ways. I, I really like that. This is what I've come to expect whenever I get together with a group of people to do big things, things that are not going to happen on their own. They won't occur on their own. In fact, in fact, the opposite will probably occur unless this team engages. So 
Some of the best moments and seasons and months and years of my life have been a part of teams of people like that. So it's what we have come to expect. We call teams that achieve greatness, and we've actually called them high-performance teams. Each of them uh, that we have studied over the years, 30-plus years, actually about 35 years now, we come to realize a few years ago that each of them practice five disciplines. And it's those disciplines that created their success, along with a challenge that's pretty significant to them, significant to every one of them. Uh, It's impossible, uh, at least on first blush. We can't do this. It's impossible. But we have to do it. They usually don't have enough resources either to do it. So those three things put together with a high and worthy goal, that is what forms, uh, draws together and forms this cohesive team. But they have to practice these disciplines in order to get the most out of the team. They actually uh, make up an agreed-upon set of behaviors that, when practiced like all disciplines are, um, result in some pretty impressive outcomes. So since these five disciplines of uh, really healthy teams are behavioral, you can watch people do them. Even a, a casual observer hanging out with the team in the locker room or in the boardroom or in the back room or wherever the team does its work can actually see them being done. Uh, but since they're disciplines, they're practiced all the time, regardless of circumstance or mood. Important to get that part. So in, that, in the, the previous podcast, um, we talked about the first discipline and how this first discipline is the foundation for all the others. Talked about the fact that discipline number one called showing up as a discipline means two things. It means that we fulfill every promise that we make, regardless of the cost and regardless of whether or not we misjudged it when we made that promise. It also means that every team member is expected to keep their head in the game. They're expected to focus and show up mentally and be there, regardless of personal difficulty or distractions uh, within or outside of the team. So that's showing up, two sides to showing up. Promises, keep your head in the game. And as that first discipline of showing up starts to gain traction, I can now rely on you and you on me. If you say you're going to do it, you do it. And when you're here, you're paying attention to what's going on around you. You keep your head in the game. As it becomes our now our norm, this discipline is what's normal for us, our impact on others in the team starts to grow. So in high-performance teams and really healthy teams, we've discovered that we have a robust effect on one another, perhaps an outsized effect on one another, whereas there are groups of people where the effect we have on one another is not as big or not as consistent, but not true in these high-performance teams. We have an outsized impact on one another. Therefore, we've learned that we are expected to use that discipline to dare one another to be better. In fact, Moreover, to dare one another to be great, our disciplined words and our actions are to be designed to inspire one another to attain results together that are impossible for us to achieve alone, even if there's 10 times as many of us, but we're not working in concert. We dare one another to be better, to move from what Stephen Pressfield calls the amateur ranks (laughs) to the pro ranks. All high-performance teams practice this, therefore, second discipline. Pay attention to your impact on one another. 
since each team member has earned a place of trust, as in rely, I'm reliable, I'm dependable. Whenever I use the word trust in this context, I'm really not talking about that moral trust, because if you can't trust somebody on on an ethical or a moral level, then just get them out of your life. So we'll assume you can do that, but the kind of trust I'm talking about here, perhaps lowercase t, trust means to rely on, to depend on. Like every time you sit down in that chair behind your desk or sit down at the dining room chair, you don't have to think twice about the chair. You just sit in it because you trust it. That's the same kind of thing. You rely on one another. We rely on each other. And since each team member has earned that place of trust and therefore respect by practicing both sides of the first discipline, fulfill your promises and keep your head in the game, we're now expected to have a relentlessly positive effect on others in the group. I cannot overstate how significant this is. In practice, this second discipline, pay attention to your impact, means that we are unselfish. We manage our personal impulses and our emotions. We consider our words and deeds, our responses, our reactions in light of their effect on the team as a whole and as individuals. Everyone in the team is expected to have a calculated and positive impact on others at all times, provoking us to be better with every interaction. If this sounds like a big deal, it is. (laughs) We become mirrors for each other and we accurately reflect the impact of behaviors within the team. We, we never let an important thing go unsaid. We always do so, however, in a way that strengthens resolve and fuels courage. Our attentiveness to the effect that we have on others proves our commitment to the team's success. Let me say it again. It literally is our attentiveness, that paying attention to that effect and crafting it in such a way that we have a, a positive impact that proves our commitment to the team's success. So watching a team practice this second discipline is really kind of an experience. To the outsider, direct communication that's undergirded by an unselfish commitment to a worthy, lofty, important, in fact, essential goal, that kind of direct communication to the outsider can seem sort of blunt or harsh, but to the team member, it's inspiring. It's exhilarating. It's one of the transformational benefits that accrue to the, to the team, like, um, like compound interest <laughs> in the team's bank account. My team has consistently uh, and uncomfortably <laughs> dared me to be better than I ever thought I could be. And here's the kicker. They were right. If you and I are to practice this second discipline, we will discover at least three principles. First, we'll learn that we have an impact on our team always. That impact never shuts off. That impact either encourages or discourages. It's sometimes subtle, sometimes overt and direct, but it is never neutral or passive. Second, it means that our intentions must match our actions. We cannot mean well, air quotes, and disregard the dent in the courage our self-absorbed behavior creates in the team. Side note before we get on to our third uh, principle, 
all high performance teams are uh, made up of people whose neurology operates just like that of every other human on the planet. <laughs> we feel first and think second. The nonverbal, if you want to call it the emotional brain, if you want to call it that, is hundreds if not thousands of times faster than is our verbal and the logical and ordered brain. It's happening with you literally right now as you hear my voice or as your mind flits around to something you just thought of and then back to this podcast. In a flash, then, my thoughtless and my rude behavior can distract and discourage members on my team. Conversely, when intentions and my words and my deeds are aimed at our team's purpose rather than aimed at my own comfort or my own security, they end up daring my team to accomplish the impossible, which is why the team came together in the first place. All right, so here's the third principle. It means that we have to act unselfishly, always. We always put the needs of the team in pursuit of its higher goal, its purpose, its mission, above our own needs. I slowed down there because that's a really hard thing to do. I know that. Selfishness, even on a small scale, will lead to exclusion from the team. And it simply won't be tolerated by high-performance teams. So we've also noticed that most groups eventually settle on the level of performance and work ethic and attitudes and habits of the lowest performer in the group. This has been called by some the common denominator effect. And it's likely that you've experienced it probably before. Why should, why should you break a sweat if your team member isn't? Why should you show up early if everyone else waits to engage until Larry, late to work, eventually arrives, scattered and unorganized? It's pretty natural for us to think that way, especially in an enterprise, in a goal, in a pursuit that requires us to do more than we think we even can do. But of course, this is this common denominator effect where, where we perform to the lowest level uh, of, of, our, of our team in any given area is not true of disciplined, high-performance teams, really healthy teams. This observation might be one of the most uh, significant to me in all of our studies of really effective teams. These teams use the second discipline of paying attention to your impact and daring one another to be great to reverse this common denominator effect that Peter Senge talked about, making the highest performer their benchmark rather than the lowest performer. I've come to call this the uncommon denominator effect. They don't use that lowest performer at any given task, you know, the person who is the lowest performer at, at showing up or lowest performer at managing time or money or energy or a project. They don't use that person as their benchmark. In fact, they use the person who's the best at whatever as their benchmark. They don't use the lowest performer in any task or in any arena as an excuse to underperform in others. Rather, what they do is look at the highest performers in any given area on their team and realize there's no excuse for slacking. If Janet can show up early and smile even in the middle of adversity... Well, then so can I. If Daniel can stay engaged even though he's depressed and discouraged, well, then so can I. If Andy can power through boredom, well, then so can I. 
If, if Donald can do the drudgery work, the grit and the grime and the sweat and never be recognized, but that work is so important, and do it without complaining, well then, so can I. If Julie can learn something difficult, something that's really hard for her to learn, but she just sticks with it and eventually gets good at it, well then, so can I. That's the uncommon denominator effect. This is literally what happens then when we practice the second discipline. And then after, after a short time of practicing the first discipline, as, as you saw, which is show up, you know, pay attention, is the second discipline to my impact. As we practice these first and second disciplines, our teams can shift into another phase of disciplined work. That would be the third discipline. Now, these disciplines build on one another. You can't get the third discipline until you've begun to practice the second. You can't get the second until you're good at practicing the first discipline, both sides of it. That's how they work. The foundation of highly effective, high-performance, healthy teams that really accomplish the impossible is in the first discipline, then the second, and then the third. So the third discipline will be in our next podcast. It's called Be Authentic. When that is practiced, it moves us into magic. Now, this is kind of amazing because being authentic doesn't mean what you might think it means. <laughs> so stick with me in the next discipline, the next podcast, actually, as we talk about that next discipline. And uh, I don't know, I might record it tonight. I, I might. I'm kind of on a roll here. I might record them one right after the other, especially because I've been talking so much that my cigar went out. And I've only had one sip of this wonderful Basil Hayden's Kentucky Straight Bourbon Whiskey, artfully aged. I like that. That's a great phrase, artfully aged. I'm going to have a sip of this here now and see how it tastes. Mmm. Yep, that's really good. Basil Hayden's 10-year. The other Basil Hayden, the regular Basil Hayden's, pretty good too. But this is Basil Hayden's 10-year. It was a gift. Much in my life is a gift. Probably even you. You're probably a gift. I probably know who you are while you're listening to this. And if I don't, it'd be great to meet you. Well, okay. I hope you're doing good things. I hope you are a part of a team or getting ready to be part of a team that is trying to accomplish something that on its surface is utterly impossible. But it won't happen unless you get a group of people together and make it happen. So here's to you. See you in the next one. Thanks for joining me in today's School of Leadership. This podcast is part of the Archimedes Experiment, leveraged wisdom from the world's most effective leaders. If you're interested in more, go to my website, dhicks.com. Remember, my first name has only one E. Well, you'll find more short and helpful podcast books and blog posts. If this was helpful, maybe even share it with some of your friends. Have a great day.